This is Whiskey and Risk, a J. Crew podcast where we talk about all things risky while drinking a little bit of whiskey. I'm Max. And I'm Jackson. Let's get into it. Cheers. Welcome back to Whiskey and Risk. I am your host, Max Katzbeck. And I'm Jackson Doyle. And today we're very excited to bring two special guests, longtime clients of Jay Krug, Cabworks, Rich and Marshall Wexmonski. Thank you. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about the bourbon that we're drinking today, which is a new one on the show. And it's one that I've never had, Rabbit Hole Cave Hill, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Jackson, initial thoughts on it? I like it a lot. I mean, you're going to get into the description. I think it holds true. Yeah. So a little description about the bourbon we're drinking today. It's named after generations of proud Louisville distillers. The straight bourbon whiskey from Rabbit Hole pays homage to those who propelled American whiskey into the future. This extremely small batch bourbon whiskey from Rabbit Hole is always toasted and charred and never chill filtered. With no more than 15 barrels harvested at any time, they keep the proof low to allow more flavor to shine through every sip. It's got an ABV of 95, proof of 47 and a half. The aroma per the website is spice, honey, fresh apples, Taste is creamy orange, honey, mint, and toasted grain. And the finish is vanilla and custard. That's right. And you were already mentioning some of those words, Jackson. That's right. I'm going to do one more sip here. Okay, one sip. Everybody knows the rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good. I'm going to rate this one compared to my favorite maker's mark. I'm going to go pro score of 7.9. Okay. Didn't quite reach an 8, but what's on the cusp? Yeah. For me, to be honest with you, I think this is one of the more favorite bourbons that we've had on the podcast so far. It's pretty smooth. Obviously, it's a lower proof, but I think it really goes down smooth, and I really enjoy it. So I'm in the eights here. I'm probably going to go with an 8.4. I'd probably get there on the second glass. I'd probably feel a little bit more. We'll get there on the second glass. I know. We'll touch base at the end of the episode and see how it's going down. Absolutely. So yeah, without further ado, I want to bring in our guests, Richard and Marshall Waxmunsky. Yeah. With Cabworks Custom Elevators. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So what are you guys' initial thoughts on the rabbit hole cave hill? It is very smooth. Yeah. It is nice. I like the reference of the scores here. I'm in the same boat. I'm around that seven and a half to eight in there. That's okay. right. And I will tell you that every time you drink the second glass, it's always going to be better than the first. <laughs> That's so right. A little so bit I, do, I do look forward to that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just fall in line. I'm like right at the seven, eight. Okay. Yeah, 7.8. Pretty solid scores all around. Yeah, uh, Nothing below a five, so that's good. I don't think we've ever had a below a five. I think we pretty much not yet. bourbon put in front of us. Keep it on the top right. shelf, no problems. Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, though, I would like to get into your guys' experience, learn a little bit more about your company's your respected roles at the company, what you guys do, maybe what separates you guys from your competition. But just getting started, why don't you tell us a little bit about CabWorks? CabWorks started in 96. Rich was down in school and I was here and I was in the elevator union and I didn't like getting my hands dirty. So (laughs) I said, what's the cleanest part of elevator work that I could possibly do? And the elevator interiors were there. And at the time, elevator companies, they'd hire wood carpenters and the elevator guys would watch the carpenters do the install because it was the elevator union's trade and their jurisdiction. So if they were going to have a carpenter working in it, you were also going to pay an elevator guy to do the work. Yeah. So we just trained ourselves how to become carpenters really is what it becomes. 
because the elevator is an interesting trade because you're not only doing electronics, hydraulics, motors, gears, wiring, plumbing. Once you enter that, once you cross that threshold and walk up into the elevator, everything is the elevator unions or the elevator tradesmen's jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. You're not going to call in a different trade to do any of the elevator work. So in this way, there's a lot of little specialty niches within the elevator industry. So we just decided that we were going to be an elevator interior company. Rich was in school at the time. And I went down to visit him. He was living in Spain. Had a really rough life. Then. <laughs> my, my side of the story is a little funnier is that I was living in Barcelona and Marshall and a bunch of the guys came out, like seven of our friends and we're all hanging out. And he says to me, he's like, well, we got this opportunity to own our own company. And I said, well, as long as it's not in elevators. Here's the thing. And I tell everybody, he sold me the dream. But again, here we are 27 years later, yeah. still going strong. Yeah, so cheers. For that, Marshall. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers to that. Absolutely. So cab works. And just to clarify with our listeners too, it's specifically the inside of the cab. We design, fabricate, and install elevator interiors. It's obviously a little niche business. At the time, there was only one other company that was with the union that did elevator interiors. And they actually, by chance, started almost at the exact same time as us. Wow. So it was very limited competition. It was fun. I used to joke. We used to play office. We were right up street here on Golf Road, not far from here. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to tell everyone that we just play office. We'd go skate in the mornings, <laughs> go work out, go do some work. It was awesome starting a company with your brother. So yeah. it was fantastic. How old were the two of you when you guys got started? Oh, you're aging us now. <laughs> it's 97. I was 24, 25. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was 28. 24. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive to start a company at that age. Yeah. The year before he started, I was starting the company. I was doing a lot of the groundwork before he came back from Spain. And I would back the van out of the garage and build the stuff and then load it in the van and then drive it to the job site and install it myself. So literally it was started out of a garage with a van. That's Not awesome. quite the same level of Google at this uh, point. Apple. Yeah. 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 We're almost to the Google's <laughs> level. <laughs> if you throw out a map quest, I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> you're really dating us at that point. <laughs> That's awesome. So a little bit more about your company. So how many employees do you guys have? What's kind of your geographic area? So with elevator cabs, the best way to describe is the first thing you see when you walk into a building, and I'll use yours as an example, is yep. your security desk, your front lobby. The second thing you see is an elevator. So whenever they build a building, whether that building is six stories, 12 stories, the designers usually start with the lobby, the outside construction, and then they work their way in. So they work their way into the elevators. And the elevators typically match in some capacity to the lobbies, the same decor, the same flow, the same feel. Where all the elevator companies of the world, the OEMs as we call them, they don't have that branch. So they need somebody to do it. So that's where we started our company to assist those. So all our big customers are the major elevator companies around the country. We are licensed in 15 states. So we work from California to New York. We've done jobs in probably 30 of the 50 states so far, yeah. including Hawaii, Alaska. We haven't hit, but we have done three projects in Hawaii. We have currently one going now. Our primary focus has always been class A high-rise buildings of some sort. And this would consider 12-story building is anything over 10 is considered a high-rise. So in our world, anything 10 stories or above. Now you can have three or four-story class A buildings. Yeah. So we don't take those out of the mix. But it was always our bread and butter was always the high-end fancy stuff. I can't wait for the day where I get to put a fish tank in the elevator. I want to go big. So the more elaborate it gets, the more fun we have with it. And we have 38 employees, I think, right now, right in that neighborhood, based out of Chicago. 
our manufacturing facilities in Chicago, Northside. We ship our guys and our products and our people all over the place. We handle, I would say, about 95% of our own installations. So whatever we fabricate, our guys are going to that location and installing. So we ship them out there. And we also do material only where we provide the backup and support for our customers to install. So we have that as an option as well. Yeah. When you talk about, obviously, the more elaborate is probably more fun for you guys. So what are some of the more elaborate designs that you guys have done over your time? We've done stuff with lighting where the lights change colors as you go up and down the building, you know, different music, different types of glass, products that were imported from all over the world. They had this horsehair fabric that was imported from France just to do wall panels with curves and shapes, geometric shapes, different things that we do that have come the challenge has been put in front of us. And that's what we look forward to is like that challenge. Like somebody's going to give you this. You can't do this in an elevator. Like, yeah, yeah, we can. So some of the really neat stuff, we call it the eyeball. It's like a rounded and concave and convex oval shape that you actually had a bend in two different directions, which they said couldn't be done. So stuff like that is pretty neat. The different custom lighting packages and stuff. It's a lot of fun. So I'm assuming you build the actual elevator or the cabs at your location or is it on site? And then how long does it typically take for that from start to finish to actually complete your work on it? So yeah, we fabricate everything in Chicago and we break it down and then it gets shipped to the job site. And then the elevator cab is the structural box that you ride in. So the cab is sitting there. For most part, the cab is there. And then we come and we build it and we reconstruct it back into the field. So it's always like a breakdown product. I do that for a couple of reasons. One, if something ever breaks or get damaged, you can actually take that one piece out and replace it. But it's also easier to ship. It's easier to handle. You have a big glass wall that's an elevator cab wall could be 90 by 120. Having one giant piece of glass isn't really feasible. So you try and break it up into pieces. So we try to work those kind of things into it. But then, yeah, we would go and install it, reconstruct it in the field at that particular building. So how does the logistics from your site to the actual client site, do you ever run into issues with the transportation or that whole Obviously side of things? It's a little, a little more challenging during COVID, right? but it's pretty straightforward. We do dedicated runs for a lot of our stuff where only our stuff goes on the truck. They take it directly to the site and then our guys offload it because you start putting this high-end architectural material in these hubs and the fork truck drivers and stuff. You could put fragile glass anywhere. They don't care. They're just going to move it how they got to move it. So most of our stuff is dedicated run or else we put it in one of our trailers and then have our drivers bring it down to the site because it allows us to offload it better as well. That's when you're in a little bit smaller sites where we did a hotel project where we did a hundred different elevators across the country, but they're all little ones and twos. So we'd put six or eight of them in a small truck and then do local delivers to each one. Transportation has been pretty smooth for us. First and only reason I ever had to go to Scranton. Scranton? Scranton, Pennsylvania. I had to go there. Uh, home of the service. office, right? Yeah, yeah. I had no other reason to be there other than a survey and elevator. I have a question based on you saying you work across the country and you mm-hmm. guys will do elevators anywhere. So like walk us through the process of how you obviously you've grown to what you are now. How do you guys get new business and how did those contracts, is it pretty consistent of same clients, new buildings? Walk us through that. Yeah, I think we ran a number. I want to say 95% of our clients are repeat customers. Yeah. So it's pretty significant. If you take one of the major elevator companies, the Otis, Kone, Schindler, Tissons of the world, those are the four majors. 
they have branches and locations everywhere. Yeah. Like any business, people bounce around and they move, right? You know, one sales guy is here and then he's a branch manager in Milwaukee six months later, or he goes to California. So once you become friends, we did all our hard work in Chicago. And once we built those relationships and those people started bouncing around, it was natural that, hey, I've got this project in California, San Francisco. Would you guys be interested in looking at it? Absolutely. We're going to want to look at it. So that's kind of how organic growth for us was with the people that we knew. And then once you get there, as long as you do good work, which knock on wood, we've been lucky to have great success in that, they keep you. And then the guy that's running at the PM or somebody turns around and said, hey, we got this other project. Then you just kept going. It keeps building that way. Yeah. So another note, so when a building is getting built, that specification, that contractor, the architect, whoever, that bid goes out to the four majors. We bid to all four majors. So if major A gets this project and then major B gets this project, we still can be involved in both of them, even though they split it up. It's a benefit for us by keeping and maintaining those, those. Yeah. 25% 25% chance of getting every job, right? right? Well, it's an exaggeration, but technically, if you look at the numbers, we're in a lot of that stuff. So it's a good opportunities for us. Keep doing good work, extend your warranties and make sure your stuff doesn't fail, which it doesn't. Got customers for life. It's and nice. The, and when it comes to warranties, that's one of the things that we just live, which is our contract calls for one year. If something fails, we replace it. Yeah. That's just how it is. We go on projects that are five or six years old, and if it wasn't supposed to, and it's something we did wrong, we'll replace it. We don't put that in writing because then, quite frankly, people would try to take advantage of it, I think. Yeah, we that's do the right thing. We, that's, yeah, we do the right Ethically. thing. That's, how we, oper- that's just yeah. how we operate. And I think that means a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that want to cut corners and just are about the buck, but obviously that might work in the short term. But right. when you have a long-term company like Never you guys works. do, and it's yeah. very successful, those things pay off in the long term. Right. So. And that's interesting too. I mean, on this podcast, we talk a lot. Obviously, Jackson and myself are both in our 20s. We're younger business development, sales, insurance advisors, whatever you want to call us. But we go through, especially when you're starting off, for us, it's a little bit different. It's a little less niche. There's a lot of insurance advisors, agents, brokers out there. So how do you differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack? For us, it was a lot of cold calling and emails, just trying to drum up business. Grinded. And then eventually, yeah. it's a it's grind, a grind, grind yeah. for sure. Yeah. Eventually, you start getting those clients. And I'm kind of getting to the point in my career, too, where I've got a book and I'm starting to get referrals and you do a good thing for one person and it right. comes back around. I've always been told that the riches are in the niches. That's what I've always heard. Even when I started off, Jeff Krug taught me that one. So you guys are a dominant player in your space then. So most of the elevator companies will go to you. How much competition is in specifically what you guys do in the space? It's a very regional focus. So you've got companies like us in other markets. And when we go into those markets, we become the outsider coming in. In this market here in the Midwest, we were one of the first guys and on the union side of it, our family's been in the union for 50 years at this point. So Mm -hmm. we know everybody. And what does that mean? It's just another way that we've when you're in your own local market, it's just another way that you're part of the space at this yeah. point, right? You're not the outsider. You're the guys. You're the go-to. Right? We're the guys. Yeah. So when we're going into these other markets, it's the opposite. We're the outsiders coming in and it's a little bit more challenging then. So do you have to get more creative on your bids then when you're doing that? Yeah. Like, How do you guys separate yourselves from your competition when you're going into those new markets? Every time somebody has a problem, right, there's always that one opportunity. Somebody makes a mistake and you happen to stumble in at that very moment. Those happen for us. 
It's really just the seven points you got to touch on. Then you got to be the best bid. And then once you get in there and they realize that you go above and beyond your customer service, we're very responsive and all stuff that are real problems and other companies that do what we do. So we go above and beyond in the customer service and the communication. We try to take stuff off their plate. If we're taking stuff off their plate and we're becoming a partner versus a vendor, we want to be partners with these people. Right. If we're just a vendor, we're a vendor. We're a number on a paper at that point. Right. So we try to get past that. And once we get past that part, then the number on the paper doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to be the best price if you're the best company. So they know what they get in the end. But like Marshall was saying, is as you get into that market, you got to beat some doors down, mm -hmm. right? And it takes some time. It could take a year to two years to develop a particular city. I'm not saying a state even. Like you got literally in California, you got three different you got Southern California, you got Middle California, and you got Northern California, right? Central California, I guess they would call it, right? It's three different environments and three literally different demographics yeah. for that, for the same business, same, same companies. companies. Same business, same industry. But if it's company A, those three divisions are complete separate individual yeah. entities, mm -hmm. even though they're one company, just because like we say, the local politics or the politics of that region yeah. or that branch. That's kind of wild to think about, actually. So you could just split up a state and things would be completely different. Like, oh, yeah. I had a job in California. Well, where in California? Because yeah. we're dealing with completely different people, yep, with completely right. different rules and hoops to jump through. And, and, and even about. the divisions, right? So you have the new construction, you have the service, and then you have the modernization. Mm -hmm. Inside one of those companies, those are three separate divisions. They don't communicate a lot of times with each other. So if you go and earn the business of the new construction team, the mod guys might not even know you. Yeah, or even, yeah start right? over. Exactly. They might you don't drink. Up. They don't drink bourbon. We don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even know you, and they're in the same building, the same office. So you'll go and you'll talk to new construction guys, like, "Hey, have you met the mod guys?" And like, "No, no." And then now you got to go sell the mod people. Well, then the service people all of a sudden have this one project where they need an elevator cab interior, and they say, "Call these cab works guys." Well, who the hell are they? They were the guys that did the presentation last week. Don't you remember them? <laughs> we weren't even in it, right? Yeah. So now you yeah, got a sandwich. just never came. I was yeah. there for the free yeah. Yeah. yeah, so with that being said, though, you mentioned the three divisions too. Like, what does that make up of your guys' business? Is the majority new business revenue or do you guys have a pretty good amount coming back in for modernization? And It swings. It's our good customers have their own cycles where they're getting work, they're getting work, they're getting work, and then they're doing the work. So. Okay. Sometimes that's the mod teams that we do a lot of work with or the new construction teams that we do a lot of work with. So it is cyclical for us. Okay. Typically, we love it was 50-50 all the yeah. time, but how much new construction is there in Chicago right now? I guess that's one of the challenges too that our business faces. If you're a real estate company, a REIT or whoever you are, mm -hmm. who are your tenants next year? What are your leases going to look like in two years? I mean, right. no one knows any of this stuff. So it's a really interesting time for our business because- What's going on in their industry obviously directly affects us. If you're not going to have anyone in your building, what do I need elevators for? And why do I got to make them prettier or shinier or anything if there's no one in the buildings? So I'm really interested to see where this is all going to unfold over the next three to five years. To compliment you guys and what you do, if you don't mind. Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. We've been, We'd love we've to been, hear it. <laughs> we've been working with J. Crew for 16 years, roughly, like 2007. Yeah. I think we got introduced. We've expanded our coverages with you guys. And to give what you guys have built here credit... The brokerage process that you guys go through for us is individually as our company on our health and our commercial side. We know it's a tremendous amount of work. So we want to thank you guys for doing that. Every year we get multiple opportunities to choose from and 
we appreciate the hard work and effort goes into getting all that stuff done for us. So Absolutely. it's been a great relationship with you guys for what, like 16 years now. Yeah, because right? it's easy when everything's great, but guys get hurt, guys get injured. The mod rate starts fluctuating or going up and now the competition gets less for yeah. who'll write these policies. Right. And early on, when you guys came on board with us, couple guys had gotten injured on a job site and I don't know, we won't get too far into what I think of the workman's comp <laughs> yeah. and how it works in Illinois. Right. And I don't know how it is in other states, only yeah. Illinois. Anyways, it was a very difficult time. So having built what we have with you and the reputation that we have, even with the carriers that you guys use with us now, it's been great to have options now where yeah. now that everything's smooth and we're easy to underwrite. Where was this 15, 16 years right. ago when we first switched over to you guys? So. Right. Absolutely. And we really appreciate your guys' business and hearing that and even coming on the podcast. I mean, it's all very much appreciated. It's a relationship business. That's what we're in. And you want to, when somebody gets hurt or when you guys have a nightmare of a day, someone's injured, you want to be able to call somebody, not just like a 1-800 number. You don't want to bounce around from producer to producer. I mean, you right. guys work with Tom Krug and having the ability to call him when times are tough or you need some guidance, I think is great. And that's what we like to provide to all of our clients. It's kind of our difference maker, if you will, is yeah. just that service level. So to hear that from you guys is really great to know. And that kind of leads into the insurance portion too, because I know you mentioned some potential injuries, workers' comp claims in the past. Illinois, each state's different with workers' comp. Illinois is very employee favorable. There's other states that favor the employer a little bit more. It can sometimes become a little... Yeah, can you write those down? You're giving yeah. those states. Yeah. I'm looking for a new corporate office right yeah. now. Can you write those states down, please? It can get a little political at sometimes, but it's just the way that it is for workers' comp, which is unique about the coverage. So tell us about, you don't have to get into specifics, but sure. when you had maybe a large claim or an injured employee, what the process on, for you guys, obviously we're assisting you, but as a business owner, you have someone that gets injured. What's your first thought? What was that process? Were you nervous? Yeah. Knowing that you are removed from the process once it starts. And there's things you can try to do to mitigate some of the costs, bring them back on and light duty and some of these other things. Yeah, It is one of the most difficult aspects of running a business. Everyone always talks about health insurance costs and everything else. When we first started with you guys, we had several different divisions. We we're a much bigger company. We decided to simplify and sold a couple branches back in 2007. Seven to 10, really 10 is when it happened. It started in mm -hmm. seven, happened in 10. But at the time we had 102 employees and this was during the trouble time where our mod rate was up to 1.42 or 1.47, I forget what it was. So it pays 47% higher premium. Higher than, than what the yeah. same exact coverage that year, Correct. a 1.0 average Correct. Be. Yeah. And we were, I think our overall health insurance cost, including what we're doing with the unions was $200,000 a year. And our workman's comp at that same period was $600,000 a mm -hmm. year. And we were doing about 14 million in revenue. So when you start talking about cost and cost control, there was no way we could impact lowering those costs. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a coverage issue. It literally was two guys who had made what we considered false claims. Mm -hmm. But once you're in that tunnel, there's yep. really no way out until you get to the other end. Yeah. And that mod rate stayed that way for three years, mm -hmm. right? Because that's, that's, how it works. that's where it works. So it's three years history. we're locked at a mod rate. In that process, because we told them it was a bogus claim. Right. They had filmed one of the guys who claimed he had tore something in his knee and had to have knee surgery. He couldn't work. We tried to put him on light duty. It was completely disruptive. He was 
literally almost starting fights in the building. So we had to send him home, you know, all kind of silly stuff. They filmed him playing softball. Three months later, he put in a claim that because of the pressure he was putting on his other leg, his other leg needed surgery. Stayed on the workman's comp. Workman's comp filmed it. And I was on the phone with them. They're like, yeah, but you have no way to prove that he didn't do it from him putting pressure on it. You have no way to say that it wasn't softball or something else that caused it. So because he said that's what caused it, that's what causes it. That's the workman's comp environment in Illinois. So like I said, I mean, it cost us, what's 50% on six? So you're talking, what, $300,000 about extra over a three-year period, so a million dollars. That's straight out of the bottom line. When those adjustments happen on workman's comp, they happen on the fly. They're not in your revenue models or projection models yeah. or anything for those years. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can increase it by next year, but we're going to go increase all your labor rates. Now you're higher than the competition because you got to add $10 or $15 an hour. Well, now your bids are off away. Yeah, exactly. You're less business, too. You're just going to be as competitive. I don't know who the workman's comp gods are, Yeah, but I try to stay out of their radar. Try to stay out of their radar. Right. That's why we have a 37-page safety manual Yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. Like you said, you have no control over it. And you can't fix stupid. Right. right? Somebody's just stupid. Or they do something just stupid yep. that you, they know they shouldn't be doing. And that still affects you, right? So, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Know. I think workers' comp definitely has a place you want to be covered if you're injured at work. But we do find a lot of times that just with the way that it's set up, there is a lot of kind of taking advantage of the system. Yeah. Right. I mean, because when you're injured, if you get sick and you're on health insurance, you got your deductibles, there's some risk on your point. But right. when you go to workers' comp, you just claim you're injured at work. If it's true, then absolutely get covered. But there's no deductibles. There's no out-of-pocket maximum. You're not paying for it. Your employer's paying for it. So you might be upset with your employer. And now, hey, I'm going to file a workers' comp claim. Right. So right. it's unfortunate. I don't know the solution to it. and not one of the workers' comp gods. Thankfully, <laughs> if I was, I don't think you guys would be on the No, Max, maybe, maybe you got to strive for something a little bit bigger. <laughs> Getting on the workman's comp advisory board, that would be excellent. Yeah, that'd be good. But yeah, no, it is interesting. So obviously your mod was up. And then we started working together in 2007. That's about when your mod was high. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming now, and I should know this, but you primarily work with Tom. I'm assuming now the mod has gotten more into a reasonable place. Yeah, we're at 0.86 right now. So, yeah. I mean, you're even better than the industry average. Right. So that yeah. swing up from 40 to 0.85, I mean, yeah, that's it's, what it's makes the difference point. of getting a check every year from workman's comp yeah. versus writing the check every year. Right, exactly. And it's reasonable. Our workman's comp on an elevator guy is, I want to say it's $18 an hour. That's 18 bucks an hour in cost on workman's comp. 18 bucks, probably, it's a rate, so it's probably 18 bucks per $100 you pay them. Right, and our cost on, and I cost on a guy, it's actually 140 so it's actually more than that now. Yeah. Because it's 140 an hour for a guy. It's in benefit package. So it's right. I think it's $99 is what our cost right is there. for an elevator guy. So yeah. it comes out to... 18 bucks an hour. That's what our cost is. But think about that. Because we have guys, we do other work outside of elevators. Mm -hmm. You're paying carpenters 25 or 30 bucks an hour. That's our workman's comp rate. Obviously, workers comp is rated for your job description. If you're in office, you got like us, we're 8810 class code clerical. We work in the office. My R rate's probably, I don't know, three cents, five cents, six cents per hundred dollars. But when you start looking at the riskier stuff, obviously the carriers want more premium for that because there's more potential for serious injuries. So you talk roofers, I've seen roofers, their rates $40. So every hundred dollars you pay your employee, you're paying $40 in workers' comp. I mean, that's 
It's a that's, tremendous amount. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most people think that their health insurance is one of the largest expenses, but when you start getting into the riskier trades and things oh, like that, yeah. it's huge. Yeah, so. it's a big cost. We're a safe company, right? Obviously, we keep our model. We know a lot of claims, so yeah. we're safe. We preach that. We have safety meetings. We do all the things you're supposed to be doing. But if you're at a 0.86 and you jump to a one, okay, it's not the end of the world, right? right? You have an accident, something happens. As an employer, first and foremost, you worry about your employee safety, make sure it's okay, then, you know, their future. So we don't want to sound cold and callous that it's all about the money. No, absolutely. Obviously, if something happens, you want the person's family to be taken care of, whatever, and that person. But you jump up to a one or one one. All right, it's not the end of the world. But when you get into that one four, one two, those numbers are just staggering. It takes a long time to recover. So preach safety. We practice, try to get these guys on the same page. That's why we have, a, again, 37, whatever it is, page safety manual Yeah, to make sure that they follow the simple stuff, right? Because so it's never, you're walking down the street and you get hit by a truck at work. Right. It's not that. It's you cut your finger or you hold a piece of steel wrong or you do something stupid. You drop it on your hand just because you're not paying attention. Cut your finger off, right? <laughs> so it's that kind of stuff that really is, don't work properly on a ladder. Stupid stuff. It's yeah. always stupid. Yep. You know? it, it comes down to the individual though too. We have a guy who was working at home and he was drilling and he got a metal shaving on his eye. This just happened a couple weeks ago, right? Well, what character of, is that individual, right? Yeah. What integrity does he have? I got hurt at work. I got her to work. I could sit at home. I can get paid. I don't have to do a darn thing. If something bad happens, it's not on my insurance. There is no deductible. I don't have to worry about anything. That's not what he did. I got her screwing a joist in my house and the thing went behind my eye and I get in. Now I got to go. I had my retina drilled and all this other crazy yeah. stuff. But so cool. You know, the, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because man of integrity, that, hire good people. But there's, yeah, the, there's guys, there's people out there that know the exact opposite's true. It's not hard. Talk to any attorney, they're going to workman's count. Oh, I got rear-ended a couple of weeks ago. I went to the police station, filed a police report right away. Guy had insurance, whatever. I was sitting there 45 seconds, completely his fault. That's fine, whatever. No one was hurt, thankfully. Got rear-ended, went to the police report, did the police report. That was at probably eight o'clock at night. The next morning, starting at 6.30 in the morning, I probably got 50 calls and mm -hmm. text messages from personal injury attorneys yeah. reaching out saying, hey, let's file a claim. Let's go after these guys and... I mean, I wasn't hurt. It was an accident, whatever. But if I wanted to, I could have absolutely brought someone on and got paid. And, right. and, you know, and a lot of people would do that. There's a reason Blue Cross Blue Shield now sends you those forms and they follow up a hundred. And this just started within the last couple of years. If you go and get adjustments or you went to a chiropractor, you get the form from Blue Cross Blue Shield. Was this a work accident? Because that takes it off of them, right? right. Now that's good. When this, we ain't paying for this. This yep. isn't our problem. I don't know. I don't want to go too far into it. That's a rabbit hole. Yeah. No. Hey, that's a rabbit hole. Where's the rabbit hole that I do like? Where's the rabbit hole I do like? Glass as well, since there we're mentioning. Yeah, yeah right. On glass too. It's still good. It's it, even it it's enjoying it's it. It's getting smoother better. and smoother. Yeah. It's getting better. I um, will agree. I know you have the safety manual too. What are some of the other things that you guys preach to your employees? You guys are best in class shop. There's a reason why you guys have grown the way that you do and take care of your employees the way that you do. You have the safety work, the manual, but what are some of the other things that you do with employees to kind of limit the exposure? Because you never know if someone's going to get injured, that's fine. But there are things that you can do to help kind of control that experience mod. So what are so, those things? I think even today, we had a company meeting today about, we incorporated our safety meeting into it. One of the things that we always said is, you don't need to work fast. We work smarter, not faster. Somebody walks in and says, well, you only got an hour to get this done. I'd rather you take two, take your time, do it right, mm -hmm. of course old adage, measure twice, cut once. This is, goes the same thing. 
if you're rushing through something because you think you're on this time deadline, that's where mistakes happen, accidents happen. Work smart. If you do things the right way with the quality and the end result, then you take a lot of those unsafe factors out of that mix. That and I mean, training, you can't work on any machine in our shop if you haven't been properly trained, which means Mm -hmm. you get a certificate, your name goes on the list. The guy who trained you obviously had gone through the training. So he has to be on the list and had to be certified in order to use that saw or that grinder or whatever. Even the forklift, you can't drive the forklift unless you've gone through forklift training. The little things that you would think of, oh, I got to get trained on a drill press. Yeah, you got to get trained on a drill press. Yeah. You're just pulling the handle, you would think. Right. But there's a lot of other things that can come with that, right? Right. So standard PPE stuff, the protection stuff, that's pretty standard. But take your time and doing the training and all that stuff that we add that into our mix across the board. Makes us a better company, makes us a safer company. Right. That's the other thing we stress. When you talk about the cost and everything else that we've been discussing, it's the personal toll. That's the bigger issue. Right. If you don't have your health or your back or your eye or your leg or your limb or whatever, your life changes dramatically. Sure. So that's one of the biggest things we're always talking about. We're not just telling you this because we we're worried about an insurance bill or anything yeah. else. We're worried about because you could lose your eye. You're going to need back surgery. You're going to need knee surgery or whatever the heck it is because you're not taking the time to be smart and use the people around you to get it done the right way. Absolutely. I just want to know more so like why elevators? And then I know like with a ton of trades out there, if you guys could market to anybody looking into trades, what are some benefits going into an elevator trade opposed to others or being in it? What's fun about it? But then also like why elevators? What got you into it? Back in the day, there was different requirements to get hired by the union. And the elevator union at the time was called... I want to remember it was called selective hire. And what that meant was that the hall would not hire anybody unless everybody was working. And a company can't hire anyone to do elevators. They can go to the hall and request and get an employee to come work for them, but they must have the union card and the Mm -hmm. union's the one who educates them and all that kind of stuff. So the elevator union itself is very small. It was usually iron workers and elevator companies as far as the top paid unions across the whole country. That's the way it always worked. So it was just a family business. Our dad was an elevator mechanic. Our uncles, three uncles, two stepbrothers, stepdad, three cousins. Well, that kind of helped you get into it. That's the way it was. All the family friends were elevator guys. It becomes your universe, especially, you know, I've been in the business since I was 19. I'm 29 now. So it's like (laughs) 40 some years. (laughs) Yeah, that that adds up. Yeah, Yeah, it does really well. I need a little more bourbon. The math gets better. It was a family trade. It was a really unique business opportunity when we started the company. And there's job security. And this is another fun fact for the day. There are more elevator rides in the country or in the world than any other means of human transportation. Really? More than cars. I want to say, I think the number is around a billion rides a year for elevators. Every day. Yeah, every day. (laughs) But think about that. There's how many times an elevator goes up and down. Right? So it's its own specifications inside any construction document, any building, even a two-story building requires ADA compliance in some aspects where you have to have an elevator in a lot of even two-story public buildings. So it's the single biggest means of transportation. So the job security in the elevator industry, nobody talks about it. People who listen to this podcast will now go into the next elevator they look and they're going to look around and, hey. and we're like, 
wow, an elevator. This is yeah. this is nice. Or this corner looks terrible. Yeah. This panel's ripped or broken, right? People, after we start talking about this stuff, they realize that, like I said before, the first thing you see is that lobby, that elevator. The second thing you see is the elevator yeah. in almost every high-rise building in the world. It's the second thing you see. You ask why elevators? We kind of fell into it because our dad did. Somebody, it was our dad's friend, had said that, hey, there's this company, Otis Hiring, he should go get a job. And our dad was doing heating and air conditioning and some other stuff, and he fell in love with it. He loved it. So yeah. it's never going away. It evolves. They get faster. They get prettier. Well, COVID. COVID is causing an evolution of its own, Yeah, right? COVID. Yeah, exactly. COVID's caused that. But it's a business that's never going to go away. And it's never going to evolve to the point where they're not going to be there. Can all of us, yeah, right. Yeah. Until and you it, can start doing that. One other side of it. When we had the other divisions, we worked for general contractors at the time. And the thing about elevator companies, the majors, there's very few competitors. And most of them are as big or bigger than the general contractors that you're going to work yeah. for. So I won't say what I would say at another, but you don't mess with the elevator guys, right. right? Because if you don't have your elevators, you got a big giant paperweight. So no one's walking past five floors. You're not going to walk up. I suppose in Spain, you lived on the seventh floor, didn't we, you? We, yeah. You lived on the seventh floor <laughs> It was high. We did it. We had a little itty bitty yeah, elevator, right. but, which <laughs> but, we broke while we were there. Right. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. So you don't mess with the elevator guys. So you always get paid. We've been paid on 99.8% of our receivables over the yeah. last 27 years. You always get paid. Because if you mess with the elevator guys, you don't have elevators. And then the building doesn't work. So right. here's um, a fun one story. Of those things. I tell, here's a fun story. So there's a building, had two elevators. And one of the elevators broke. So the mechanic, he has since retired from our company, but good family friend, pulled his car into the loading dock and he put his little elevator sign, elevator emergency. And he went up figured out what was wrong. He went back down to his car to get a part and his car was gone. They towed it. So he said, well, I need to get my car back. So he took the working elevator back up, turned both of them off and just sat there and just sat there and waited. Just waited and waited. Finally, his beeper, his phone goes off. Everything's going off. Beep, beep. Hey, both elevators are down at this building. He goes, I know. They towed my car. They bring my car back. I'll turn the elevators back on. I'll turn yeah. the elevators back on. Yeah. And you know what? Like I said. His car came back. That's the prima donna attitude of the elevator. You don't mess yeah. with the elevator guys. You don't mess with the elevator guys, <laughs> man. It's like fighting City Hall in some ways. Yeah. 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 So we move people like it's every building there is. Yeah, There's the go-getters that'll walk up that seventh floor. It doesn't happen in Sears Tower or the Hancock building. Who's going to walk up 90 flights? Of Who's going to walk up 20? Right. Right. Because then you got to go to lunch. Right. <laughs> Do you see that? I mean, as the world evolves, obviously we're being more inclusive of people like ADA laws, things mm -hmm. like that. Obviously, I would assume that helps your business. There might be buildings that maybe didn't have an elevator that now are legally required to if they're rebuilding or renovating. Is that coming it's to play at all? When we're going to upgrade an elevator, it's more about code compliance. Yeah. So the 2019 code just got adopted. So they write these codes and it takes... And different municipalities adopt them at different times. Different states adopt them at different times. So it takes a few years for them to get caught up on the codes that have been written. So 2019 is officially Chicago's code, but there's some exclusions to it. Those exclusions are have to do with communication. So if you push here, you got to push the call button, you push it, someone's got to get on the phone, you got to have voice interaction with that person. The new code is you have to have voice and visual, and that visual has to be answering questions. 
so that if I can't talk with a screen, with a touch screen, so that because if I can't talk to you, how can I tell you what's going on? How can I tell you what's because I can't talk? So it's part of the ADA codes. That's one of the requirements. So how do you do that? Well, the front wall has to get done. Well, if the front wall has to get done, what about the door package? Where am I at with the cabs? Where am I at with all this other stuff? That's usually what helps fuel the modernization cycle of the elevator business. Yeah. Well, and that specifically relates exactly to you guys. I mean, you probably have to change your business model or just implement these new technologies or advise your clients on what is needed to Mm -hmm. keep up with these codes. So obviously you want to make the cab look nice, but is there more of like a technological shift that you guys are dealing with now with like the videos and the cameras and all that? Yeah, absolutely. Like the videos, if you ride up in some of the tallest buildings in the world, they have like actual TV screens that actually play videos. Like the one in New York that I was in, it actually played a video of how the building got built. So when you're on the 13th, let's call it the 12th floor, you're actually looking through the TV screen of what it looked like when it was being built oh, wow, on the 12th cool. floor. That's, that's then as awesome. you get up yeah, to the top awesome. floor, now your building's topped out, you're up there, now you're looking at the completed building, but you're actually seeing the city around right. you. We didn't so, do those caps. We didn't do, we didn't do those caps. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclaimer, we did not do those caps. But I'm disappointed we didn't do them because that'd be awesome. But we didn't do those caps. <laughs> I was in Dubai in the Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest building in the world currently. Never have I ever been in triple digits. I think we got to 147th floor of 200. Yeah. So I was on the 147th floor looking up and there's still 53 more floors above it, which is absurd. It's wild. But it's if you absurd. think about that in the world... It's another building. What are we on? Twelve here? Yeah, yeah we're at twelve. 12. Is twelve, right, right, yeah, right, right, exactly. Shit. <laughs> so you're standing there and you're thinking, "Wow, there's literally another building on top of this building. Right. This is almost two Sears towers. Willis Tower. It's always Sears Tower to me. But yeah, it's two of them on top of each other. Like how that's how tall you're up there. That kind of technology and seeing those kind of things is mind blowing. It's incredible to see. That was the best part to me. Geeking out on the elevator. It was. Yeah. It was it was unbelievable. Like I'm like, I can't wait to get how do I go higher? So without jumping out of an airplane, that's pretty close to the highest I've ever been, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Elevator, it's just fun, man. It's just one of those things that it's always something new. It's always a new building. It's always a new look. No two elevators are the same in a building, yes, but in terms of building a building. So you're always coming up with something new and exciting. Yeah, always new materials. And it's, we did these cabs here when we were still on golf. 2000. Our building? Yeah. Yeah. 2001. Yeah. We started with that. Wow. Yeah. We did those at the cabs here. 2002, Um, maybe? Yeah. We did them with Schindler. That was when we did the Schindler does the elevator mechanics and we did the cabs with them. Yeah. So they still look good? They still, they're in great shape. But it's this design, you would never see this design now. You would never see this layout the the way they have it here. It's not bad. It's just, that's just not today's design, which is what he's talking about. You're hiring a designer to create this energy. It's the lobby to the elevators to your suite. It's always going to be coordinated. So whatever is the new cutting edge material or they're using stone now, they're using wood, they're using glass. Still a lot of glass and stone. We've seen a lot of wood cabs over the last few years. When we first started, it was all wood cabs. It's almost everything. This was one of the first glass jobs. Not the first glass job, I shouldn't say it that way. It's one of the earlier development of glass in elevators for panels. And what year around was that? 2001, two ish yeah, that's around yeah, 2000. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, I know we did them, but it was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we did them on corn. Here's another. They're built well. They're still here. Yeah, yeah they're, they're in perfect uh, shape. Aon Center, Standard Oil Building in yeah. Chicago. There's 83 elevators in that building. That's mind-blowing. Right? 
That is mind blowing. So we did that building in a mod in 2008 or nine when it was sold and bought. And they just did a two years ago, they did an elevator lobby modernization and they changed some of the materials. So they changed part of the elevator package. So we did that building twice already. And there's several others that we've done twice. It's like in a our full careers. circle kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, every yeah, 20 years, circle, right? Yeah. So it's kind of its own, you know, hopefully yeah. 20 years you do them again. So and they're coming up on here. Once again, though, COVID, I'll be that garage. Yeah. <laughs> it not seem very full today, so. That's a, another cool part. I'm going and tearing out our own work. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it again. So That's awesome. Some of the bigger projects like the 83 elevators in one building, 56 in another, 47. These are single buildings. Like people don't realize there's that many, one building. Sears Tower, I think, has 96 units, something ridiculous like that. What is there, 16 here? 16 or 12 here? Yeah. Elevators? Yeah. Well, I know the first. There's, six, well, there's the a couple of service. floors are their own set. And right. then it's here. There's another for yeah. eight to 14 right. or whatever. So, yeah. Just think about that, this building alone. Like, yeah. It adds up pretty quick. You ask what's fun. Why elevators? It's a different challenge, but it's a different design and it's just different things every day. You're never doing the same thing twice, Yeah. which the learning curve, there's always something new and that keeps it exciting. Yeah. And then you go to different cities, right? I do a lot of our traveling. So you asked earlier kind of our roles. Marshall is more the inside stuff, engineering and day-to-day -day operations and CFO and all that, where I do all the outside sales and business development and development of regions and cities and we work perfectly. We tease, never had a fist fight a day in our lives. We've worked together 27 years and obviously known each other our whole lives. I think yeah. we did at least. Yeah. I knew you before I, you knew me though. I, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's true, story. right? That's that was for. So I had to have some awareness. Like who's yeah. this guy? Who's taking four, up all the time? We're, yeah. yeah. We're, 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 we are four years apart and I am the baby. So that doesn't matter. <laughs> so he's 29 and you're 20, I'm, I'm 25. Uh, 25. 25. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's cool. Like our mom works for us. She comes in every day and does whatever she can do to help out. Our sister works for us. She's our bookkeeper. So even though we have 30, eight employees or whatever it is that now we still have that family field yeah. you know which is really neat kind of like jay crew like, yeah, you know, we just started that. that's very similar yeah. um you know everybody so it's pretty neat it's fun and it's a different challenge every day but it's a fun challenge so that's awesome well this has been great obviously your passion and what you guys do comes through you guys are our best guests so far you're also our first guest i mean it's gonna be hard to top <laughs> so good luck to the next one Time about yeah, through, yeah. yeah. Great. thank you for the bourbon and thank yeah. you for having us absolutely yeah. absolutely fun. one final question out of all of the jobs that you guys have done over the past 20 30 years whatever it is what is the one that sticks out in your head and what's a job that you would want the call on if you could have one building or one place that you could do a job where are you waiting on that's a good follow-up yeah i said earlier i want to do the fish tank in the yeah. elevator yeah that, you did still so but like I, I think, elevator. Yeah, yeah to me i want to be able to say yeah we did that the right. tallest building in the world or the building with the most elevators we have a ton of notable projects under our belt that mm -hmm. we're extremely proud of yeah. right but there's not that one that we can say, oh yeah, we did that. There's designs where we could say that we put this up against anything. If they build this thing, it's gonna be called the tower in Dubai. I think it's gonna be actually taller. I think it's in the process of being going through. That would be the one I could say, hey, we did the tallest building yeah, in the world. Now, that'd be awesome. I think the 10 and 30 design, the 10 and 30 Monroe. Wacker. Wacker. I didn't know the address, 10 and 30 Wacker. I think that's one of my favorite designs that we've done. Yeah. That's on our website stuff. 
What is your website too, just in case anyone wants to www.cabworks.com. Okay. Which also does that link to the 360 site? It does not. Oh, we could. I'll have to link that. I guess for me, when you asked that question, it was more like I want to be the number one company in the country. So for me, it's not about an elevator design here. It's more about taking our next steps to kind see, of emulate what you guys are doing here at Shea Crew. See, like, that's you guys are growing and developing. We're doing a good job of getting out into these different regions, but I want to be able to build a company that dominates in those regions. Here, well. Here's the difference between sales, Dominate. operations. I want to be the number one company. We are already the number one company in my eyes. What are you talking yeah. about? We're the best. Every yeah. time I You're talk number three. I'm a number two. That's why. That's what it is. Every time I talk about I'm like the number one company in the country. Like, yeah. We do love the word dominate. Though. That's, yeah. always that's it, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's included in a sentence. You're on the right track. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's what we say. Yeah. He keeps me grounded. That's my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yin and yang. Love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Guys, this has been great. Thank you guys so much for coming in. If you guys have any questions and if the listeners have any questions, feel free to shoot us an email. It's whiskeyandrisk at jkrug.com. And we're also going to link CabWorks website in our show notes. So if you want to learn any more about CabWorks, feel free to reach out to them directly. They're the best at what they do. They're one of our favorite clients to work with and our favorite guests on the podcast. So feel free to check them out and like, comment, and subscribe. That's right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. 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 Thank you.